Hi everyone, this is Sudeshna from the Abundant Psyche and you are listening to the Not So Corporate podcast. Here we talk about all the not so corporate things we do in corporate life and outside of it as corporate entrepreneurs. And today I have a very special guest with me and I was in awe of David through my strategy and days. So today I have with me the very special David Lansfield. He's an ex-strategy and and PwC partner. David helps leaders improve their performance and deliver extraordinary results by using his expertise and experience as a strategy consultant, as an exec coach, and a business leader. He has worked with 35 CEOs, led more than 500 projects, structured 15 digital ventures, and has had 14 years of experience in strategy and in PwC. His clients include the BBC, Royal Mail, NHS, Vodafone, all of the big names that you can think of. Um, he is also a regular contributor to the HBR, strategy and business, Forbes, and FT on actually something that I really want to talk to David about, the critical paradoxes of corporate life, human and technology, professional and personal, corporate and individual, leadership and management, exploration and exploitation. Welcome, David. I'm so, so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. You're you're making me feel younger already. It's um, 14 years as a partner and uh, 24 years in the firm. So that's, uh, that's, I'm older than you think, but I'm happy to be made younger. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for coming over. So David, do you want to give me a bit of that paradoxical piece that you write actually so much about um, all of those nuances around how to balance corporate and personal life, because yeah, I'll I'll let you tell your story. Well, I'm fascinated with paradoxes because they reflect what real life is about. Whereas we often hear, read, see very dogmatic views on leaders have to do this, or it's all about tech, or it's all about our professional self. Well, life's not as simple as that. So I'm really interested in, the, if you like, the, the interactions, the trade-offs, the tensions between these factors. So, for example, a recent piece I wrote in HBR was around you know, transformational leadership. And we hear stories of leaders you know, delivering amazing results, growing, you know, growing the share price, the profitability of the firm, the brand, all these great things. And in my experience, there are many leaders, however, who leave, a, if you like, a trail of collateral damage, um, either their own health, um, their own sanity, those around them. And so I guess what I was trying to call out is that you only see you only see in here one side of the story where there's often another one, which is a more personal one. And I wasn't suggesting there's necessarily one answer, but I was trying to work, work through a sort of how can you actually bring the two together? How can you actually think of success and impact in both a professional sense and a personal sense? That's one example of a paradox. Yeah, no, that's right. And that is what I think I have been um, talking a lot about because we are we pretend in corporate life that we are just this one dimensional person who appears at work, does a good job, goes back, and we have a linear progression path. But I think one of the very few people, and David, you probably didn't even know or realize that I was watching you from the sidelines all the while. You were walking the talk, literally. And um, I really enjoyed the fact that you 
talked so openly about the various things that mattered to you. Um, mm. I wouldn't say that that was the norm in the firm. So mm. what sort of gave you the courage to do that? I guess there's a couple of things. And hey, just to be really clear, as my close family and friends will attest, I'm far, far from perfect in, in many areas. But I guess at one level, spending a lot of your day not being yourself is really tiring. So there's one element of it. You know, if you're facing a lot of pressure, which you know, if you're in a seat, any role, but particularly a senior role, you face a lot of pressure. If you're adding on to that, a sort of a, a you know, you're wearing a mask or you're doing things that aren't yourself, over time that becomes a bit tiring, a bit boring, um, and actually, you know, a bit inauthentic. So that was one thing that I was, you know, that I was thinking of. And secondly, I mean, in, when I became a, I became a partner at 32, which is relatively young. Um, you know, good market, good mentors, and I was reason pretty good at what I did. And I, I put a mask on for the first you know, few years because I was sort of the young person around. I remember being in a meeting where um, I was the most senior person in the room and I was asked to make the coffee and tea by um, some of the other people there, um, which I was very happy to do. I'm not particularly good at it, but I was very happy to do it. Um, and then I sat down and chaired the meeting and you should have seen the look on their face. They literally sort of went, what, you? I'm like, yes, well, I'm, I'm chairing the meeting. So I tended to put a mask on from time to time in order to be somebody different. And then I thought, life's too short, a bit tiring. And I think candidly, I guess closer to now, um, obviously my son who was born absolutely with no problems, but then sadly suffered significant brain damage, um, gave me a pass, shocked me into a reality which I never imagined. And I guess made me think a bit more deeply about life, what it means to work, how important work is, and it still was important against that backdrop of a very, very difficult personal situation. And so I decided where relevant, and very importantly, where relevant to share some of my personal story where I think it could help either encourage other people to do the same or perhaps learn some of the lessons from that experience. Because um, what I found was there are many, many people who have very rich and stimulating and varied experiences outside work, where there are very positive ones, you know, a hobby, a passion. Uh, or negative ones, you know, a loss of something. And they, they don't bring it into work. Now, I'm not suggesting you have to be the same person. I'm not suggesting you have to share everything. But it's like you're not bringing the best of yourself to work. I remember somebody in my team um, who had, was a brilliant sports person, elite sports person. Mm. And this is a number of years ago. And effectively, that was hidden to everyone. And I thought, hang on, the, the, the stamina, you know, the skill you know, the performance you achieve, surely some of that experience could be relevant to work. So bring it, bring it forward. And I, to this day, I still don't quite know why they didn't, but there was something about the environment perhaps not being, if you like, safe, psychologically mm. safe for them to do so. Or perhaps people weren't interested. They only wanted to see the person as a sort of, if you like, you know, a number on a page, you know, performance stat for them to sort of deliver. Um and so I was passionate about trying to bring everyone's best self and best interests and styles and backgrounds to the fore, having not done it for much of my career. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask, why do you think that people feel uncomfortable about sharing more of their stories at work? I think it may be because they haven't seen people or haven't seen people who are sort of similar to them. And so it feels like, particularly those who are, if you like, in a minority group, if you like. Um, and so I think 
and it feels therefore risky to share something of, of, of yourself that they may not understand, they may not be interested in. And if you're trying to make an impression and still trying to get to know somebody, why take that risk? You know, I guess the argument being just focus on what the day job is, focus on the task in hand. Um, or they may, they, they, they may not feel that somebody is, if you like, making it, as I say, safe for them to do so. So they might see it as a distraction. They're saying, well, hang on, I've asked you to do this. Your role is this in this team. Why are you going into other areas that aren't relevant? And at a human level, there's part of me thinking, well, surely we're all interested in each other. And I'm sure we are. But when under pressure, when people feel perhaps insecure themselves, um, what tends to happen for many people is they tend to sort of shrink. They become narrower and they focus on, right, you know, what's ahead of them. And anything that's outside that realm feels difficult, risky. Um, and so they tend to just focus on, you know, what's in front of them. Often, you know, most of the time to their detriment. Yeah, so, some sort of like um, tunnel vision as opposed to connecting the dots across the board. And I remember I, I was reading somewhere that Elon Musk actually, because he has quite a lot of interest across various domains, he brings together things in such a creative way that most people don't even think of, mm. which is, I suppose, the paradox of human versus tech in some ways and well, that's I clever and i think that's if i can just interject that it's all about how if you're a you know a manager of a group or a leader of a particular functional area it's all about how you invite people to share what's relevant and how you frame the conversation i think we often think that our sharing our story our backstory our background has to be some big thing you know where you get up on a stage and you tell your story and there are plenty of examples of people doing that. And that feels quite daunting and quite a big thing. Whereas actually, if you say to people, right, we're looking at this task, this problem, we want to come up with a new idea. Right, let's let's think of all the best possible ideas from wherever they come from. Mm -hmm. People might just share something, an anecdote, a little nugget, a story from their personal self, which could be quite small. But what it does is, I guess, open the door for people to see a little chink, a little something about them where you think, oh, that's interesting. And then you delve deeply and you build it up and you build it up rather than it being some, right, you've got 10 minutes, here's the floor, tell us about where you come from, what you do in your personal life and so on, which for most people they won't want to do. Right, yes. And, and I suppose the key bit to that, like you alluded before, is leadership and authentic leadership, leaders who make the environment safe to be yourself in some ways yeah i think um i think and having the curiosity i'd add as well to actually rather than assume something about somebody because of a you know their title their seniority their background their education that therefore they should be x y and z actually ask a few more questions mm. listen properly and actually give people space to express themselves in the way they want to um you don't have, although we think in bullet points, right? And I've seen, you know, put things down on paper in bullet points. That's not how people want to speak. And so some people have to be given the space and the, the time to express themselves in different ways. I mean, for example, the number of assumptions that have been made about me as a white male are staggering. And I get it, right? I get it, particularly from people who come from different backgrounds. 
but they sort of assume I do X, Y, and Z. Oh, David, you must love, for example, I've had this all the time, you must love football. And you must love, you know, et cetera. That's one example. And to be clear, I've had it, I, I've had, um, I've had it easy compared to other people. I completely recognise that and I'm sensitive to that. But I'm not, I'm not into football at all. I much prefer rugby. But people, we all make assumptions about people. And so something about being you know, authentic and curious is actually rather than saying, ah, you're X, Y, and Z, therefore you go into this box, actually ask them, show some, show some time. And the more that you spend, this is what I realized sort of mid to midway through my careers, the more you actually invest time in people, it's not a waste. It's not a distraction from getting to the, from A to B or delivering the target. Actually, it's an investment in a relationship. It's an investment in the person. And actually it pays dividends, right? Because the more you get to know people, the more you feel you can be yourself, the more you get all the talent, you know, out in front of you, rather than getting a little sort of slice of it. Right. Yes, of course. David, just to take a segue from that into your varied passions, like you talk a lot about leadership, you were a strategy consultant, which is very um logical, methodical, but leadership is far more, I say, diverse, inclusive, um, intuitive in some ways, and then your interest in tech, because you tend to write a lot on AI and uh, all of the latest technological uh, bits and leadership as well. So Mm. how did you, in your PwC career, which is quite demanding in its own right, and I uh, know about your son as well, so how did you manage time for all of this? <laughs> well, I'll just pick you up on a couple of things there. You're making a few assumptions there. Um, one is, which is fine, by the way, it's a natural thing we all do. I think strategy can be quite logical, you know, structured, analytical, mm. but great strategy isn't. Great strategy. Strategy is about you know choice making choices, making finding differentiated positions, creating an organisation that's really capable, etc. It should be creative. It should be intuitive, you know, um, because what is strategy about? It's about moving people to a new place. That requires understanding the brain, the mind, the feelings, the biases, and, and understanding biases, as well as you know a structured view as to where an organisation can move to. Um, I often think we think strategy is something which is a uh, if you like, defined by a series of spreadsheets and PowerPoints, whereas actually it's much more than that. But that's an aside. I'll come back to your question. Um, look, I went with where I was interested. You know, I went with where there was demand in my career, both in terms of the types of work. Um, so I started as an economist, and obviously economics feeds, feeds strategy. And I went with, you know, what are people buying, bluntly, what are people buying from me, both colleagues and clients? What's hot in the market? Um, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. So there have been opportunities in my career where, bluntly, if I was really focused on if you like, making money or progressing, I would have gone in a slightly different direction. But actually, I, don't, I didn't want to do things that weren't congruent with either my, you know, my interests or elsewhere. So I, I was pretty clean on my sort of radar of what stimulates me and what you know, you know, gives me a lift and energizes me. Um, and in terms of managing time, I think that's just about making choices day to day. Where do you spend your time with, with whom? What do you stop doing, right? And actually, um, how do you make sure that you keep moving on? I see a lot of people who effectively spend all their days in meetings or on calls, and effectively they're still in the previous call. They're still thinking about something else. 
Whereas if, if they actually compartmentalize, you know, from one activity or one task to another, they'll get it done quicker, get it focused, get focused, and then move on. Um, and I think reason, I was definitely not perfect, but I was reasonably good at just saying enough's enough. You know, I didn't work that much at weekends, for example. This is before or after my, irrespective of my sort of family situation. Um, uh, at the same time, when I was in work, I was pretty intense, but sometimes too intense, to be honest. I wanted to get stuff done. I wanted to make stuff happen. Um, but I also just wanted to do other things outside work too. Right. So um, coming back to that bit that you said about strategy, I love that because that's typically what I always um, used to tell people that strategy is about thinking, about connecting the dots, about being creative, not a bunch of Excel spreadsheets that get you somehow to top line growth and bottom line cost reduction. Um, mm. That is important. Of course, that's important. But um, real strategy does lie in that sort of creative space, which is... <laughs> Yeah, you need so you need you need substantiation. You need evidence to support a perspective as to how you can create a winning position in you know in an arena, if you like, a space. Um, but you need different skills. You need different backgrounds. And one of the one of the things that strategists, whether they're consultants or in-house strategists, get wrong is they think they can do it on their own. Mm. Great strategy has to include different perspectives. People who, you know, from finance, how do you finance a strategy? How do you make it happen operationally, et cetera, et cetera. Great strategists are conveners. They're more architects than just experts. They bring people together, if you like. They, they play the role of bringing all those insights together in order to work out well, not only a, an idea, you know, a plan, uh, but also the sort of, I guess, the momentum to actually make it happen. Most strategies don't work, right? Most strategies don't work. And a large part of that, one is, they haven't got a clear strategy to start off with. They haven't made some clear choices. You know, people don't understand it, but it's the execution of it that goes wrong because it's, it's often can, you know, developed by a small team at the top, either in the organization or consultants sort of pushed at the organization yeah. and then a sort of go on, get on and do it. And most people look at it and hear it and think, actually, I don't quite know what I might being asked to do. Don't quite know what I've been asked to do differently. And by the way, What's in it for me? All those very personal questions, which are not soft questions. They're actually yeah. some of the hardest questions you can try to answer. I agree completely. Like I have seen so many strategists. Uh, they are brilliant strategists, uh, so to speak. They will carve out a strategy and then they'll give it off to the ops team who are not bought in to implement that. And they'll expect magic to happen somehow the ideas in their mind will be transformed and transmitted and executed uh, through these people who have no idea about what those ideas are in the first place. And um, yeah, like there have been a fair few times I had to sort of be like, are you sure this is a good strategy to follow? Um, because at the end of the day, I think going back to that piece around culture and strategy, that is that is almost fundamental to all of the strategy work that we do. And that ultimately has to be in some way um, led by leadership in some form, I guess. Um, so coming back to your interest in leadership, David, how did you um, 
decide or know like why what made you leave strategy and then pick up this um interest of yours that i think you had for quite a long time like i was in strategy and uh, it's been two and a half years since i left and i have been watching you so um yeah i i know of your interest but how did you sort of um transition into being a leadership uh, coach for leaders yeah i guess there's a number of elements one i was i played had a number of leadership roles within the firm and and i enjoyed them wasn't i had some successes got some things wrong but i actually did have responsibility rather than just being an advisor or a consultant to leaders i had responsibility to be one so that that piqued my interest um and i was both the leader of a group uh, also a part of leadership teams and I had a number of different experiences i then worked with a number of you know senior executives typically on projects that often then brought in wider considerations you know big regulatory projects big transformation projects where we weren't there to coach the leaders but it sort of happened it's the natural when you're spending a lot of time with somebody you're invested in the outcome you you, you try and help them beyond just the the task in hand or the, or the particular project um and then i was always interested in the coaching part of it and you know high quality coaching is something where you know you 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 have the ability to not only draw out um the answer an idea a solution from the individual but actually to 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 encourage them to think differently to sometimes be directive sometimes be non-directive and i think you know that's a great compliment to consultants who are often brought in candidly to be if you like uh, experts in a particular area and so and if i i'm caricaturing a bit but if a consultant often is a give me a problem i go away and do my work and then push it back to you that's clearly not not right but that's a caricature um, i like the I, I like the idea of if you like delving into the psyche of people how are they thinking why are they thinking and actually when we go away what are they like you know what would it take for them to actually do it themselves and do it better i was always fascinated with the behavioral change if you like and then i decided to take a program um called Mailer run by Mailer Campbell which is a coaching faculty I did that um while I was in PwC and became an accredited executive coach um and then I got to a point I guess in my career after 24 years in the firm 14 years as a partner where I thought hey the firm's great I'm a big admirer of the firm but I thought actually I'm I was I'm now 46 I was young obviously then when I made the decision I was thinking I want to try some new things in life nothing particularly wrong but I saw various paths and they and they were fine but fine wasn't good enough for me and so I thought right let's try and build a portfolio of different activities some I call myself a, a catalyst strategist and coach catalyst being new ideas strategy being about choices coaching being about enablement um try my hand at speaking writing and perhaps take some roles with boards to try something new um and it also gave me a bit more flexibility at home so there is an there was prof- professional and personal reason for doing it and it's you know it's not it's not common for somebody sort of mid tenure to leave the firm i mean as most partners said to me you're very courageous you're very courageous and um whereas people who are younger who weren't partners tended to say of course you're going to try something new why would why have you stayed so long there were two different reactions right um and what the partners meant it was the same comment every time when i told people i could guarantee they're going to say wow that's brave that's courageous and what they meant i think or you know well intentioned was 
So you've got a job, you know, you've got a good role, a good title. It's relatively well paid. That comes with a lot of demands. Why would you give that up to do something where you don't have a big brand behind you? You're not proven in all of those areas. My view, I was, by the way, but they may not have seen it. Um, and you're going to take a risk at that time of your life. Why would you do it? So it's interesting. That was this sort of perception, whereas I just wanted, I wanted to change. I wanted to change. Right. So did these two sets of opinions make you a little anxious at that point or not? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I mean, it was a big decision. Yeah. But once you've told people, I, you know, I'd made, once you, that's when people, you know, when people leave an organization, by the time they told you, they've gone through a thought process for quite a long time, typically. Mm. Um, so yes, there were, there were some very hard decisions, you know, very practical decisions of, um, you know, weighing up the pros and cons, talking to people who I trusted, who were different to me. So I did reach out to people, you know, on a private basis, who I knew had a different background, different mindset to me to test whether I was going mad or I was trying something different. And I wasn't looking for an answer. What I was looking for is for them to think whether my reasoning was sound, how I was coming across. Mm. So one of the, I remember one of the people, she said to me, when you talk about what you're, what you want to do, however vague, right? You don't have a completely clear idea. You know, she said, your eyes light up. You talk more positively about it. That says a lot. Mm. Uh, and so whilst, you know, you always have doubts and Hey, I mean, look, I, I, I retired, left, retired, you call it retire from the partnership. That's the term that's used. I haven't retired, but I left the firm in July. So in the middle of the pandemic, mm. right? Uh, when I'm homeschooling, home shielding, uh, not, I did have some doubts then, I'll be honest. I was thinking, what, are, you know, what have I done? I've given up everything. And candidly, setting up a business in the middle of a crisis, right? Is not the best, <laughs> not the best timing. Um, but it was the right thing to do for all the all those reasons. It was the right thing to do. And sometimes your timing works, sometimes it doesn't. And, and I've had a huge amount of fun. Loved the experimentation, exploration. I've loved the freedom to, to do my own things. There's been some things I've missed as well in terms of the team, the dynamics, and you know, the network, um, the dynamic sort of environment you're in, the network of people. Mm. And there's some brilliant people I, I miss. Um, but I love the freedom just to make my own decisions. Um, candidly, without going to a committee or something similar, I can just do it. <laughs> yeah, that that yeah, it, it 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 is a bit complex making choices and decisions and sort of saying yeah, this will be done in the PwC strategy and sort of environment for sure. But uh, so you set this business up during the pandemic. So te tell us about how it's been uh, going since then. Like, what have your experiences been? Like, what parts of corporate life, so to speak, are you still using? What are you not missing at all? I think you said somewhat uh, you're not missing the big committees. But, um, yeah, what are you loving? What are you not? So I'm loving the opportunity to shape my own, develop my own brand, my own, if you like, platform mm. and so I made, made a decision early on given I was going to be working about half time um, I knew I could, couldn't work full time given the personal circumstances um, and so I decided that uh, you know the idea of trying to go for clients right from the beginning candidly I didn't need to um, you know after working 24 years I have a bit of headroom right I haven't been betting my money away or <laughs> fragrantly just spending it everywhere mm. um, so I just made a decision to sort of build a platform, build my brand, which in practice meant 
you know, shooting some videos, doing quite a lot of writing, networking with lots of people, um, exploring new avenues, new, new ventures, some of which I can talk about, some which I can't yet. Um, and I love that. I love just, if you like, reaching out to somebody I don't even know, but often through a friend or a contact and just saying, hey, let's, let's try this. So I love that sort of dynamism and the fact that I just say I can make decisions and the fact I've learned a huge amount, a massive amount, some of which on stuff about running a business, which some of which is interesting, some of which is a bit tedious. Mm. But new topics, you know, if you're going to interview somebody or if you're going to write some, you know, something and it's your personal name, um, it matters, of course, when you're in an organisation, but it probably matters a bit more at the beginning. So you have to really be on your A game. So sort of that learning, getting up to speed quickly and using a network and, build, frankly, building a new network of people that would serve me well, whether that's potential clients in the future, collaborators um, or suppliers. They might, you know, the people in marketing you work for me. Um, so I've loved all of that. What do I miss? Hey, I mean, when you're, you're on your own, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm a sort of solopreneur, as they call it. So I miss the fact that, um, you know, there are, although in a virtual world, it's different. I could sort of bump into people. You know, you're not in the flow of the, of the meetings, the calls, the people. Um, some of which were good, some of which were a bit dull but that network of people. The other thing is, um, you know, I used to have a virtual assistant, um, Jane, who was fantastic. You know, I'd have to spend money to get one, which I didn't really need at the beginning. So there is a support, you know, in a corporate that you get, which often we moan about, but when you don't have it, you think, where is everyone? <laughs> where, where have they gone? Um, and I think at the same time, what about, you know, what have I missed? Um, I mean, the, just the range of people that you sort of have on tap. One of the great thing about, an organization like PwC and strategy and within it is if you have a problem or an idea within one or two calls, emails and so on, you could probably get somebody, you know, pretty good to help you with it. Whereas now I have to be resourceful. I have to use my existing network. I have to reach out to somebody um, who may be new or, and make a choice day to day between something I do myself, something I buy in, which those sort of micro decisions you don't need to make within the corporate. David, one last thing that I wanted to chat about was really for our younger listeners. I, I think quite a lot of people who come to you, I'm making an assumption again, but um, I imagine quite a lot of people who you coach tend to be more exec level people. Uh, I was reading in one of your articles about uh, how a lady, I, I think uh, from MediaLink, she had created this personal board of directors around uh, herself. Yes. Kathleen Saxton, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, when you have a few years of experience down the road, that's perhaps an easier thing to do. But what about like, how can we approach this when say we are five, six years in our careers? How did you approach it in your career? Because you you sort of had a uh, quite successful career at PwC, so and you were one of the youngest partners, so yeah. I so I, you're right that you know many of my either clients, either existing or potential clients, are senior executives. But I've made a decision um, to make sure I do work with a range of people. So um, because I sort of I want to keep it fresh. I think working with the same group, you know, I want to have different perspectives. So I will be working with younger, less experienced people who I think are high potential or just fascinating people. I think 
look, did I have a board, you know, my own board of advisors early on in my career? No, no, I didn't. Uh, I could have done. And I don't think there's suddenly a stage where you have to say, hey, you know what, I'm a, I'm a manager now or a senior something, I need to have it. My view is it starts whenever you want to, whether you're coming out of an apprenticeship, university, wherever you're coming from into work, you will have a range of people in your network um, who will have different skills, backgrounds, mindsets to you. Now, you may think you're all similar, but actually if you delve a bit deeper, there'll be somebody who may be, I don't know, maybe a bit more analytical than you, may have done an internship somewhere differently. Maybe in a different, you know, you may be in a professional services firm, for example, they're working in a corporate or a bank. My point is, if you actually spend the time mapping out your network, right, people you come through school with, you know, on an internship, through university, at work, you map them out through a number of different dimensions. And then you say, who can help me the most in terms of giving me different views to the ones I could generate myself and who... Where this was my test, by the way, when I asked people's advice when I was making my own career transition. If I thought I knew the answer, I probably wouldn't ask them. Mm. So there's a few people who are good friends and still are very good friends. I didn't really consult them that much, not because I didn't care about them, but I, I, I reckon that if I wrote down what I thought they were going to say, I'd probably get about 80% of it right. Whereas in some ways, it's about having a board around you is having... Um, you know, the confidence to actually have people who may, might make you feel a bit uncomfortable at times because they don't think in the same way, because they come up with a novel idea or they might challenge you a little bit more. So I think there's something about, I don't think there's a certain stage of your career. I think you can start wherever you want. I think the other thing just briefly I'd say is, I don't think this has to be a big exercise. So some people might be thinking, you know what, I've got a really demanding job. I've got exams to study for or whatever it is. This is not something you need to do every day. It could be something you can do socially. You know, you can bring together, at the moment we're in a virtual environment, you, know, you do a call together once, once every couple of months for half an hour, an hour, and you brainstorm a few ideas. The point is, when you need it, and when you want to solicit those views, you can tap into it. Um, so there's something about that strategy, word, something about strategic, about how much time and effort and in what form you want to, to, um, to, you know, to, to, to um, invest in rather than it being, oh, it's something I need to do every week and invest in this number of hours. No, 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 no. Sometimes you can get the best ideas from five or 10 minutes of thought. Yeah. Um, at times I feel like sometimes I get the best ideas while in a shower or after a good meditation or something, mm -hmm. because quietening the mind as I have realized is extremely important. But the, something about the board of directors really clicked with me, you know, um, the fact that um, you are opening yourself up to be challenged, and also you are owning up in some way to, I'm the CEO of this career that I have, and mm. I am hiring or soliciting advice from a board around me. Um, I, I really love that. And you have it's showing it's showing um that you own you know your own destiny you take control for the ups and downs right any career has its ups and downs anybody who says otherwise is is just not telling the truth uh, I think at the same time you have to have to give it back right it goes both ways mm. so somebody else may want your help at a time that's not convenient for you I think sometimes you can't you can't just focus on yourself I see a lot of very talented high performing people who are not tunnel vision, but they're so obsessed about themselves that 
they will you know progress 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 but if for example they you know have a difficult moment or things don't quite go their way or for example if the company they're in just doesn't perform they may have been performing very well and i know a number of people who've either been uh, let go um because the company has done not done very well all these sort of shocks mm. you know those people really really have you know a difficult time because they haven't got a network of people around them because they've been so focused on uh, right me 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 so there's something about look around you you know invest in your relationships even when you're doing well and as you say take a bit of time out you know not only to think of new ideas but to sort of to breathe and actually one of the things that i used to get criticized for sometimes and rightly so is because i was quite focused um and passionate about what i did um I, either either i looked physically still as serious or i was sort of very head down and it made people you feel like they said to me oh but you're too busy or you've got it sorted i don't need to come and you know, help you. And what I was doing unconsciously was actually turning away people who might have been able to help or would want to collaborate with me. And so there's something about, I know this is a sort of desk analogy, but there's something about lifting your head up, looking around, going for a walk, spending time. That's not wasteful. That's not wasteful time at all. That's actually good time. And my belief is, although I never got this right, is you know, the, the best ideas shouldn't come just in your personal time, you know, the walk on the beach, you know, the meditation, the, we have to create environments at work, where people can feel calm, right, relaxed, uh, where they can think clearly, and we've got to get away from this sort of, you know, this, if you like, obsession with velocity, and sort of pressure, mm. and intensity, and process, Um I remember being in one meeting, board meeting that I um, I facilitated, where on some measures it was a sort of high performing uh, or you know group of people, high caliber people. The organisation was doing pretty well at that stage, but effectively, we have a group of of about 10, 12 people. Only three people spoke. The rest were in fear of saying something. They weren't particularly interested. And so what I changed was I created what's called a thinking environment. It's something that Nancy Klein, the author, has written about in a book called Time to Think and various other editions. What I said is everyone has the opportunity here to say something. And I posed a very simple set of questions. I said, the rules are these. One is you're kind to the listener, which means you don't drone on. Secondly, when you're listening to the person next to you, irrespective of who they are, what your respective positions are, you listen intently, which means eye contact, which sometimes is harder virtually than in person, but eye contact, mm. which some people feel quite difficult. And so there are some cultural cultures where that's a bit more difficult to do, I recognise. But it also means, and here's the key point, also means no interruptions. We are wired to wait for to interruptions. So we tend to just blurt something out, somebody chips in, somebody chips in, and in that, in that meeting, one, we, get, we got to hear the opinions and ideas of everyone. Secondly, they actually started working together because there was more mutual interest and mutual respect. And actually, it was just quite calm. Mm. And I was told afterwards they made more progress in that meeting than they have done in about four to five months of meetings. And it wasn't intense. It was pretty calm. And it was pretty thoughtful. Now, not every meeting necessarily needs to be like that. There are some meetings that can be transactional and quite operationally focused. 
but we need to change our perspective on what you know high performance looks like it's not about intensity stress stress pressure i remember one leader i won't say where he, where he worked but you can probably guess he actually stood up in a front a group of people and he said my role is to increase the anxiety of this group i want to create more anxiety i want to sort of put more pressure on you more stress because my belief is that will help us achieve better results i mean who who delivers better results from being anxious if he reframed it and said what i want to do is set a really high ambition for this group and i want to do that together i if he said i believe in all of you yeah. and i want to have a conversation about how we can work together to do that it would have been a completely different conversation and a completely different dynamic so my belief and this is why i'm passionate about it myself is we've got to rethink the way you know high performance operates at work we really really do and the reason for that is the the other thing i'll mention is that will also improve inclusion in the sense of belonging from people who may not be type a may not shout loudly maybe the person who will listen attentively before they chip in but when they do say something their the quality per word of what they say is very high and too much particularly men of a certain age too much they dominate proceedings and it means that people don't participate right? i we've got I, to rewire we've got to rethink how high performance works at work we've got to Oh my god, I, I, I'm I'm uh, loving all of this, and I'm having flashbacks to meetings where I have been the quietest person in the room, and um, actually getting quite bad performance reviews on the back of me being quiet just because I was listening. Um, anyway, I won't go down that rabbit hole. But uh, David, do you have so any? So, so just one, just one thing on that, and I'm not trying to rewrite your career or anything like that. But there is something about how we can all, if you like, share how we work best and how we think differently. And, and that comes down to either you know courage we have you know, in, in a meeting or privately be between meetings and so on, um, where we say, you know what, I work best when I'm reflective and thinking, or I work best when I'm the person who's the energizer and so on. And what it means is that that may not suddenly give you the best performance review, mm. but what it does is, if you like, stop or reduce the number of assumptions people make, which may be, they may made assumptions about somebody who's quiet being, oh, they're not engaged, they're not interested, they haven't got any good ideas. Whereas I can tell you in one of my leadership teams, um, the most insightful comments came from an individual who'd say very little, but right at the end would either summarize what we said or come up with a new angle. And actually, I, I slipped into the, the trap of thinking, oh, actually, the person who was, you know, the, the loud, big character, you know, was actually the most impactful. They definitely played a role in terms of um, bringing, bringing the room up, you know, lifting the mood, getting people thinking. That plays a role. That's only one role. That's only one role. There's lots of other roles people can play from being a catalyst with ideas being somebody who can convene people, bring people together, somebody who can think alternative angles. There are, you know, I've mentioned four there, I could go on. We often default into a single character in a meeting, mm. particularly in traditional organizations. And so now, 
And what happens is you get groupthink, right? You get groupthink, you get lots of mini-me's, you get a lack of diversity of thought. But what it needs is either the manager of that group or the leader of that group to talk about how people want to work uh, and actually show that curiosity, or it needs somebody brave from coming into the organization saying, you know what, let's just take a moment. Let's just talk about how we operate in a meeting. And again, that doesn't have to be a three-hour conversation. It could be quite a short intervention. And I've seen that in some of my clients I've worked with. Somebody says, hey, can we just talk about how we are actually talking at the moment on this call? So actually making an observation about the interactions. For example, on one a few months back, everyone was talking over each other. And somebody, some brave person who's probably the most junior in the room said, can I just intervene? We can't hear each other speak. We're not making any progress. Um, I'm sensing there's some disagreement. Can we talk about what the main areas of disagreement are? Suddenly, like that, the dynamic changed. And they actually went from a quite a, you know, difficult dynamic and slightly, slightly toxic at times to something that was quite analytical to say, okay, the main areas of disagreement are dot, 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 and then they found a way through it. That's brilliant. I, I'm definitely going to take a note or two for myself from that. So that's been such a pleasure, David. Do you have any Likewise. last things to say, it feels like I could talk to you for ages. So maybe at some point, we'll have you on again, if that's all right. Well, that's up to you and your listeners. That's uh, that's up to you. But I always look look forward to feedback. Um, yes. I think one of the things I'll say just to close is, none of us have all the answers, right? Some of us have a bit more experience. Um, I think the key thing that I've enjoyed of late, and in, indeed in much of my career, is, is learning having a passion to learn, having a touch of humility um, to actually say, I don't really know the answer, but perhaps you do. And actually showing, I guess, um, that you care, care about not only the people around you and as human beings, but also care about the result you're trying to, you know, you're trying to go for. Um, I think sometimes going back to paradoxes, I think sometimes a, you know, a deep care and appreciation for people can be an excuse to not really push the boundaries because you want, don't want to offend them. Mm. Again, the paradox is you can be incredibly um, successful and care for people. I remember um, having a conversation with James Timpson of Timpsons, you know, the shoe shoe cobbler um, and various oh, yeah. dry cleaner. Yeah. Um, he's the son of the founder. And he's known for his care of, for his people. Not only the fact he brings in a proportion of his workforce come are ex-offenders uh, from prison, but also the fact that you know there are certain perks and benefits that perhaps other organisations wouldn't give. So, for example, um, if you have a bereavement, you can take holiday and they support you with that, and so on and so on. But he's very clear that you have to earn the right. So, for example, the standards they set for the stores, how the people look, um, how they perform are very, very high. Mm. And, you know, and he's very clear that, you know, the only reason he can be generous uh, with those perks and how he looks after his staff, partly is his, obviously his, his mindset and his beliefs, but it's the fact they make money, right? Yeah. So he, whereas I probably thought, oh, he's a benevolent sort of person. It's just the good of his heart. There is a certain degree of that, but he has really high standards. And if you, if you match them, you know, and you deliver against it, then you get the benefits. If you don't, you're supported, right? 
through difficult times or if the store, you know, the shop's not working. But if it doesn't work, you know, you're invited to leave. So that's another example of a paradox where actually um, I think we can all show a lot more care for each other whilst also trying to start strive for our absolute best. Absolutely. And in fact, caring about each other also means that I'm expecting you to perform at your best. So that Absolutely. automatically Absolutely. raises the standard irrespective. And, and uh, you know, striving for absolute best will mean at times that there are difficult moments. There are things you have to call out in what somebody's doing right or wrong, and it will feel uncomfortable. I remember one of my best client relationships, um, the client said to me, he says, unless there's an element of, of grit, you know, grit, you know, the stone, unless there's an element of grit between us, we're not trying hard enough. Whenever we become really, really comfortable with each other, mm. it's probably enjoyable, but actually we're not really pushing things on. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So care for each other, expect the best of each other, but still remember to push on to absolutely get everyone to the next level. This has been brilliant, David. Thank you so much for agreeing to this. Thank and, you. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. It's, it's just been an absolute honor. Thank you so much. No problem. That's it for today. If you liked that, if you have any thoughts, comments, leave them down below. If you enjoyed this, share it out with your friends. Don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button. And I'll see you next time.